0: I'm Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horbeck. Join us twice a week as we talk everything NFL Draft and break down all the players who will make your team better. Except the Rams, because they don't really have any picks. Check us out on the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify.
1: This episode is
2: brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got... tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
0: There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we have a good one, and we got a buzzer beater in Houston, back-to-back buzzer beaters in the last two games in Houston before the Miami UConn game, and Lamont Butler stamped his name in college basketball lore forever. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the UConn Huskies, who look absolutely awesome unstoppable at this point. They have dominated the entire tournament, so uh, it's going to be fun. Myself and Kyle Mann are going to break down both the games from the Final Four tonight, um, and we got a special guest, Kyle. This is uh probably one of the most zany, wacky, wonky, whatever word you want to use, interviews of my entire life. He is, of course, the great Bill Walton, a.k.a. Big Wave Billy. He came on the show live from Houston. I had a plan and uh, as Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And uh, Bill Walton punched me in my mouth or slapped me with a fish, whatever saying you want to say. He did all that and more. It was a very ridiculous interview. I appreciate anyone who is going to go on that journey, go on that ride. He ser- he shares some uh, great insights, obviously, into life, as he always does. So that's a fun one. Um, this is going to be a jam-packed show. We got myself, Kyle Mann, doing reactions. We got Bill Walton giving his life statements and, and, and larger big picture thoughts so that's going to be fun um, Kyle, anything else before we get into this?
2: Just go, go. along for the ride shine on <laughs>
0: <laughs> but first, Woody Durham
2: takes the time.
0: All right, it is Saturday night, the night of the Final Four. Both games have officially ended, and I am in studio at Spotify in Los Angeles with producer Kyle. here, yep. And sitting across from me on Zoom is the great Kyle Mann. And Kyle Mann, we just saw UConn do it again. Saw them dominate. This was the closest game that they played the entire NCAA tournament. A 13-point win over Miami. I am still trying to gather my thoughts. I'm still trying to figure out where do we go from here? But first and foremost, what were you what was your big takeaway from this game other than Nigel Pack's shoes? Because we can talk about that later.
1: Well, I think we know where we go from here to a title game that involves UConn and uh and a San Diego State team that we'll talk about here in a little bit. You know, Tate, I wish I wish I were there sitting across from you in person. I wish I was sitting there with you and Kyle and we were sipping Spotify Cold Brew or Lagunitas. I don't know at this time of <laughs> the night the today. way this
0: eight oh yeah. tonight.
1: The yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> okay, it'll fives. Yeah, that's that's our that was like the official session drink. We'll try to get sponsored next year, I think, once once we come back. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a little deflating, you know, and I I kind of felt stupid for hedging the way that I did about about Miami. But the thing about Miami, the thing that made me hedge was something that we saw tonight from Miami, which is the fact that they keep coming, they keep scrapping. If they can, you know, if they can do some of the things uh that create offense. Ah, uh, for that have worked the rest of the year, um, then we could have seen a game. But the problem is that UConn punished them for the gambling style that they play in a way that the teams to this point have not been able to punish UConn.
0: Absolutely. And, Miami, go, Miami. and going into this game, right, the big headline, you and I were texting about this, is Jordan Hawkins going to be 100%? There was questions about his health. He had a stomach bug. He went through um, you know, practice yesterday, went through shoot-around, but he wasn't 100%. There was all these questions. And then as soon as the game starts, Jordan Hawkins hits a three, uh, and then Bill Raftery with a great call. The fluid seemed to be working, and th- then from there <laughs> that one got me. That, that one got me. That one got me too. And Bill Raftery, I mean, shout out to him. He's he's one of the best. But as soon as that you know happened and that opened the game, I said so much for the Hawkins news. Right, throw that out the window, and then from there their best player Adama Sinogo, uh, ten of the first eighteen points for UConn, and that included two threes where they were straightaway threes. He's made 17 threes this season. But as soon as those two threes went down, I don't know about you, man, but I said, unfortunately, that might be game. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's kind of how it felt. And, and Miami give them their credit. Like you said, they fought and they clawed their way back. Nigel Pack hit a, a deep three to tie the game at 19 to 19. They were down 10 points early in this game and they fought back. And you say to yourself, OK, looks like Miami can make this a game. And then all of a sudden, UConn does it again. And all the while, Andre Jackson, one of their biggest X-Factors, one of their best players, is in foul trouble with two fouls at that point. So it it just was from the jump, it just felt like it was UConn's night. And Miami was doing all they could to scratch and survive and scramble and try to fight their way back into the game. But the most uh, significant moments in this game were pretty much Miami cutting it to single digits, which is, I mean, that, that just goes to show the dominance that UConn had.
1: Yeah, it's it, it seemed like throughout, you know, the slow start was something you talked about um, and the, the Hawkins thing right out of the gate. I was kind of wondering if Miami did pull this off. I was like, is he contagious? Should he be out there? You know, these stomach these stomach bugs are pretty contagious. I was like, what if they go into Monday night and, you know, you got guys that caught it anyway. I don't I don't know what the kind of protocol for that is if you if you just send a sick guy out there. But he came out there and you saw. Uh, the shooting was sick. You know his his shooting was in health and safety protocols tonight, Tate, because <laughs> you saw you saw the speed, and this is this is the challenge of Hawkins. This is the challenge of uh, you know shooters at all levels that can. His mechanics are so tight. I was talking about this on on our draft show that like. The speed that he can get his feet set and get his shot up is, I mean, pretty unparalleled in college basketball. I don't think there's anybody else that shoots off movement the way that Hawkins does. And you think, well, he's not going to be himself. All he had to do, you know, we were talking about Kevin had a great quote from, I think it was like Brad Stevens talking about the way that you have to guard. Uh, I forget who it was. It might've been Kyle Corver. He's like, you know, he might have 12 points, but you have to guard Kyle Corver as if he has 30 points, you know, because he's mm. just that big of a threat and his gravity is that big of a deal for Yukon. So when he came out and hit that first three, you're kind of just like shit. Like we have now we have to really, really be at the level of every screen. We have to really, really be challenging him. That's a lot of stress. And you saw that stress play out through the course of the game, you know, Beverly and, um, you know the basketball jones back in the day which is like a classic podcast i don't know if you're listening to yeah, those guys. yeah they had a drop of will ferrell going beverly my old friend talk about pat beverly <laughs> i wish we had that drop for this pod <laughs> but he was kind of in the push and pull and the torture of that game you know later on because uh he was not closing fast enough on hawkins he finally does fouls him and sends hawkins to the line and then you're in this push and pull of like I, want, I have to be up on him because of how fast he shoots, but I'm also trying to contest him without fouling. And that's a difficult thing. You know, whenever you watch UConn's bigs, Miami tried to do their thing where this happened a couple different times throughout the night. They run these clever sets where they space for Sanogo, and Sanogo just punished them over and over again. They are really, really good at punishing anytime you try to bring extra pressure. That worked against Texas. Didn't work against UConn. And, you know, Sonogo just camping at the top of the lane. Both of these Final Four games started with teams kind of sagging and letting the other teams shoot threes. Um, and it worked out for both of the, you know, Brad, Matt Bradley for San Diego State hit a couple threes, but can't in those threes. I'm sure Laranega was just like, Well, shit, man. Like, what do we do now?
0: Right, right. And then also, you know, you mentioned some of those sets that they were running. One of the ones that I I found so fascinating was right before the half, which ended up being a Caravan three, but they basically ran a hammer action that was a decoy that gets Caravan a wide open look. And when he hit that three, it gives them a 13 point lead, which they end up winning the game by 13 points, obviously. But he had that shot. Dan Hurley smiling. The UConn fans are going crazy. And you could just see the frustration from Miami because they're trying to anticipate the sets of UConn. And as they're trying to anticipate, they're getting decoy sets, and they're almost like, you can just see their brain was a little bit scrambled. And I thought, you know, in that moment in time, that was a good summation of just how dominant their offense was tonight and the sets that they were running. They're so clean. They're so smooth. And obviously in the Big East, those teams picked up on some of those tendencies. But when you're a non-conference team that hasn't played UConn, they can put you in a blender real quick.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think that what you another thing that you saw is just, Uh, It was a contrast of style where we we saw throughout this tournament, like Miami playing these teams um, that, you know, they would kind of beat you with their individual athletes. We saw Wong was slow to get going tonight. Pack. They were meeting pack like so super high and the length at the point of attack. I think that UConn, um, I think I probably overestimated. Miami's ability to beat that pressure I thought that that might be an issue for them it wasn't I mean Newton was out meeting him at half court or lean um it uh it was something where Pack never really got going and then we saw he had a, a a footwear issue that took him out of the game but I actually kind of thought Miami played better with Pack out there because they weren't looking for him as much they seemed like they were kind of focused um Pack just really couldn't get going in this game tonight in the way that he did against Houston and Texas. Yeah,
0: and Newton's length, I I think that really stood out, especially defensively on Pack. And, you know, I mentioned that deep three that he hit to tie it up at 19. That was pretty much the last moment that Nigel Pack on the offensive end made some sort of contribution that felt like it affected the game in some way. And then as, you know, the game kind of rolled out, you know he's he's on the bench. You got the Miami manager sprinting to the tunnel. That wasn't a sprint, by the way. <laughs> yeah, was Kyle, he
1: sprinting hard that was enough? Was a gallop. Can we talk, Kyle? Can we talk about this? Was that was he running hard enough? That's what I was. He's definitely thinking. not that running was, like was he was a, on TV. That was the thing. That was a saunter. That yeah, was a saunter. it was almost
0: like uh, waving the white flag type of run. You that know, know what cool I mean? Down oh. lap. yeah. It, it did not inspire much hope or much confidence. And I'm going to say this: if you're a walk-on on the team, or maybe a guy that doesn't play so much. You stay. If you see the manager running at that pace, you get off the bench. You sprint and you take and go get the shoes for your guy. That's what I think. That that that's what there, I would have wanted in that moment.
1: There's some huge like brand symbolism here that I just realized. That like the Nike story in, in like mythology is about the guy running, you know, mm-hmm. sprinting to go tell them. Uh, and and then Adidas on on national TV, their shoes break, and the you know this Adidas school, the kids just kind of sauntering to go. I, that was a tough, that was, that's a tough look. I don't know. You know, I, it's, uh, I thought that, uh, I thought that maybe I, I would probably be, I'd be like sweating, you know, I, I'd, I'd right. be like a run, sense running. of
0: urgency, right? Yeah. And yeah, I also yeah. like every kid that I knew in high school brought an extra pair of shoes to every game. So I can't imagine you're the Miami hurricanes. You're in the final four. You are the NIL darlings, right? Everyone's talking about how you guys have all the NIL money and Adidas. They're the biggest bad guys around. This is supposed to be a moment in the sun to say, not only do we have an extra pair of shoes, what color do you want? You know what I mean? That should have been what that was for Adidas. So this was a real, I I thought this was a real black mark for Adidas. I thought it was a real tough night for Miami. Uh, It kind of. It personified the whole problem of the night where Miami just could not get it together at any level. And, you know, at one point they scored on seven straight possessions. They cut it to single digits. It's 5345. I'm looking at Kyle. I'm saying, okay, maybe, maybe there's a chance here. Maybe there's some life. But every single time that they did that, even the same thing when they cut it, when they tied it at 19, UConn would go on a 7-0 run or a 10-0 run, whatever it was, and they would answer the bell. And I don't know what that quality is with UConn, but it it is, I mean, it's got to be frustrating. I mean, as someone that's watching it from an ACC vantage point, it was frustrating to watch because as soon as you got a little bit of hope, a little glimmer of hope for Miami, it was gone just like that every single time. And that's so deflating. And you could kind of see it from O'Meara, who's a pretty affable, gregarious guy. You could see that he was getting frustrated. He had a swipe at Sunogo late in the game. And just in general, it just felt like Miami never settled into the game. And, and I felt like that was the real big storyline. They missed 15 layups, Kyle, man. I mean, that's uh, insane. Yeah.
1: I think that's partly because the length was a bigger deal than I thought. You know, I thought that the I thought that their speed on the offensive glass was something I said over and over again. We saw we even saw a lot of analytics accounts retweeting that, talking about that. It's like, oh, Miami does this well. You know, this is an area where they maybe could equalize. But I thought that you know the speed of UConn's bigs was really really apparent. Sonogo throughout this game was getting out on the perimeter. He attacked a closeout at one point. He looked amazing. But Miami or UConn was just really prepared for the kind of guerrilla style. We saw two styles going tonight where Miami or UConn can hang back and they can kind of play, you know, a set defense. They don't need to gamble because of their size and their room protection. Whereas Miami's trying to do that. And, you know, every time they tried to do it, they were sealing and getting Sanogo open. Um, it was, it was tough, you know, and you were talking about the flow of the game. Um, you know another thing too is that they had they had Nigel Pack moving east to west. You'll see some teams do this with with like great pick and roll ball handlers. Don't let them get downhill. Don't mm-hmm. let them see the floor. You want them moving side to side and not north south. And you know Miami was down talking about these comebacks. They were down thirteen to Texas with thirteen minutes left. And I think we t- we were texting about that. And I was like, they got to win this next TV TV timeout. And they cut it to twelve in this game at fourteen forty nine. Um, But all that was turnovers saying we we saw a sequence where, you know, they cut it to 12 and then Hawkins hits a big three in transition. And I was like, unfortunately, that's game. (laughs) Miami comes back to the other end, hits another three. And we like they erased it again. Mm -hmm. And it hovered there at 10 for like the last, you know, the last 14 or so minutes. And then they just demoralize Miami and and stretch the game out. Um, Wong had some moments, but I just thought. You know, Donovan Klingon, uh, we I I think I'm it's getting to the point where I think he might be silly not to come out for the NBA draft. He has just looked so phenomenal. Um, their size and he he was benefiting from it too, man. Uh, talk about overall, this was a tough night for entry passing. The first game I thought set the art of entry passing back, you know, a generation. This one <laughs> UConn, their entry passing was fantastic. I, I just thought overall they were more cohesive and they had a more schematic approach to what they were doing. Uh, Jordan Miller was bothered by the size too. I thought,
0: yeah, absolutely. And there was a there was one lob specifically that Wong had um, to Omir that Klingon. I mean, I don't know how he. I mean, he just perfectly timed it, judged it, tips it out of bounds. He had a couple blocks that you know you're just like, wow, this guy is, he's legit. I mean, there's no doubt about it that Donovan Klingon is going to be one of those ones, right? So... Here's the other thing with UConn. These are teams that have reached the title game, winning by double digits in each game in the tournament since 1985. Michigan State with the Flintstones did it in 2000. Duke did it in 2001. North Carolina in 2009. North Carolina in 2016. Villanova in 2018. And then UConn this year in 2023. So when you look at this group and you look at this UConn team, you're talking about one of the most dominant teams in NCAA tournament history. And I almost feel like every single game I'm trying to find a team that will push them or at least like, you know, I'm almost like trying to discredit them in the moment. But you can't deny the fact that what is happening in front of you, they're just absolutely dominating. So I, I want to give uh, you know as much credit and kudos to UConn as possible because I feel like every time I talk about them, I'm trying to explain why Gonzaga and Drew Timmy didn't make a run or, or why Arkansas looked flat against them. But at, at some level, you just got to say UConn's defense is suffocating and they run such great sets on offense. And then if the defense, you know, if you and your primary guy, you get beat, you have two of the best bigs behind you to clean up. I mean, Mm -hmm. they they just seem like they're perfectly built for this type of run. So how how do you rate their dominance so far? Because I, I feel like it's just washing over me at this moment in time.
1: I don't think you can I don't think you can kind of uh, detract or like downplay the competition that they've played because they've played good teams and they've dominated teams with like quality talent. I don't think they played anybody as big as them, but there's not really another team in the tournament that is as big as, as them. You know, I think that like in terms of strength and physicality, San Diego State is going to be an interesting challenge for them, but I I don't think that it's going to be enough. Um like I just Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It does seem like we've kind of been trying to like rationalize. That's probably the way to put it. (laughs) We've been trying to like. That's a great
0: word. Yeah, I've tried. I myself personally will admit I have tried to rationalize how this is happening in front of me, and I've tried to say, well, maybe Dan Hurley could be throw a wrench in this. And a lot of people before the game, right? They're they're bringing up Jeffrey Anderson, Jeffrey Anderson, the official on the call tonight. He is classically the official that Dan Hurley said was a effing clown. So a lot of UConn fans were saying, oh, wow, this might be the, you know, this might be the game that gets us, and yet again. So, I, uh, you know, we're rationalizing it, but it's here. It's present. It's happening. We just have to accept it and say, you know, tip of the cap, this is impressive, right? That, that's all we can really say at this point.
1: Yeah, man, they're they're a quality team, and I think they run a really modern, efficient style. I thought Caravan played awesome tonight. Uh, Jackson, once he got back in, we talked about I wondered if they would put Jackson on Wong. They did. I thought he was pretty effective on him in different spurts. Wong has that weird three where he he just he leans forward like he's in like the smooth criminal video when he's shooting, or is it bad? I forget. I don't remember. But um, <laughs> when he went the big lean, but Wong just has this way that he leans way forward, and um, you know Jackson didn't really bite on it throughout the game. Uh, I just thought one through, you know, all of UConn's bigs, I thought were constantly getting their hands on loose balls. And you even saw, like, I'm pretty sure Miami missed a bunch of layups tonight. So you see that just sort of the the fear, you hear the footsteps that that had an impact on Miami in a way that we haven't seen the rest of the tournament. Yeah. From the start of the game,
0: too. Like as soon as the game started, Miami had a couple looks early. And even before Klingon had swatted one of those, I mean, they they were already looking for him, right? It was already in their head a little bit. And, you know, Jordan Miller was obviously amazing against Texas. One of the best games we've seen in NCAA tournament history. Uh, You know, a perfect game. Christian Leitner reaches out to him. I mean, he tried his best to make an impact tonight. But it felt like Miami, when they were on offense, they were almost playing hot potato, right? They were just like, okay, you do it. Oh, no, no, no! You do it, and then every single time that the guy got the ball, they're like, "Oh shit! I don't know. To, I, I don't. What am I going to do? I mean, these guys are all over me, and uh, I, I don't even know if we're talking about UConn's defense enough because th- that is the other part of this that is uh, that really that really struck me tonight. So, um, I, I don't know. My final thought on this game is Miami had a great season. What a great run to the Final Four! Um, obviously upsetting Houston. Beating Texas, those are two very, very high quality basketball teams. They did it um, against the odds. Uh, Drake, even the Drake game was, was was a tough game that they they hard fought and got through. But UConn just seems to be, um, you know, obviously O'Meara, six foot seven. They they don't have anyone of size to match up with UConn, but UConn just seems like it doesn't matter who they play. They're they're just going to go ahead and get the job done, and uh, it, it's almost an expectation that they're going to win. You know, and and we're going to talk about the other game here, and when we can get into forecasting for Monday. But it looks right now that this is UConn's tournament to lose. I mean, that was the question going into the weekend, and you know, you and I talked about. Well, maybe Miami is the team that can push them to the brink. Well, we now have that answer. It's not going to be Miami.
1: Yeah. I, I was I was looking at the uh, the shot chart here and uh, I don't have the exact number, but I'm counting just by manually counting like 12 missed shots around the rim for Miami, which is really unusual. We talked about how efficient they were. And um, yeah, I mean, they're peaking at the right time, man. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. Sometimes teams peak too early, you know, uh, and sometimes teams peak late. We saw. Your Tar Heels do that last year. They peaked late, and uh, it's this UConn team, and they and they have ta- talent coming in next year too. So this is it. it kind of feels like this machine is kind of reset and recalibrated. And um, San Diego's got a, a hell of a task up ahead of them. You know, they beat a really good Bama team, and, and you know, it's not like they haven't seen good talent in this tournament. But UConn has is the most balanced team in the tournament, I think they have been for the past little while here.
0: Yeah, they kind of feel like Sonny in Philadelphia. They feel like Dennis, and he's like, I haven't even begun to peak, right? That that is what UConn <laughs> feels like. They they are on their way to peaking. Um they are peacocking at this point, and uh they are going to be a force to be reckoned with as we get to Monday. All right, let's talk about the other two teams, the first game of the day, because that is probably, you know, one of the final four games that we're going to look back on and say, this was a great final four game. Very underappreciated. A lot of people were calling it the appetizer. They they weren't sure that you had to tune in, maybe just wait to the second half. It's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a low scoring game. But it turned into a really good basketball game. And, uh, you know, just from the jump in this one, FAU got down early. They fought their way back. They had nine different players score uh, in the first half, which I thought was awesome. And, you know, in the second half, San Diego State kind of did the exact same thing. They had their bench points and they dominated, you know, with their guys coming off the bench. Um, one note I wanted to point out to you. uh, 40 points in the first half for FAU. Uh, They were up seven at the half. That was only the second time all season that San Diego State had given up 40 points. And that was the most against the Aztecs in the tournament. So FAU had figured out something in the first half. Dusty May was coaching his ass off out there. Um, What did you see in this game? What jumped out to you originally? And uh, do you feel the same way that I did where this was a really high-quality basketball game?
1: It was, it was, it was, a, it was another push and pull. Like we saw at the beginning of the game, I think San Diego State actually total. I lost count because this happened so many times. It seemed like the only kind of offense they could generate was just sort of like no dribble ISO threes. Like they, it seemed <laughs> right. like they had a few. They had a few times where they weren't running offense, and it seemed like they just had. Um, uh, you know, Matt Bradley had this happen. I think three times in the first like few minutes of the game, where he just uh, hit a hit a three on a play where it was like. He looked around, just kind of did like a jab step, and was like, okay, I'll shoot this. And it worked for them throughout the game. I mean, I counted at least 18 points that they got just off of that. Bradley, I think, was the story of the game ultimately throughout. You know, I think that um, the last game we saw where Tramiel's speed against, you know, a hampered uh, Nimhard against Creighton, he ended up being the thing that sort of stirred the drink for San Diego. But I think it was the opposite in this game. You you know, because like one through four, um, Florida Atlantic throws a lot of like dribble handlers out there. And lo and behold, when you put four guys out there that can like pass and handle and shoot the ball, good offense tends to sort of spring up from the ground, like, like gold. And this game was a little bit different because Bradley, you know, was a little bit, he was just bigger and stronger. I was, I've been calling him baby Bane cause he just, he's kind of, <laughs> he's kind of baby Desmond Bane. He's so huge. And they just couldn't do anything with him. I was surprised he didn't punish them more uh, throughout this game. Yeah,
0: speaking of punishment, I think the the big turning point in this game for me was at the 14:58 mark. Micah Parrish, um, he has an elbow to the stomach, um, and it ends up becoming a technical foul, um, and it helps FAU take their largest lead, um, and they end up getting up 54-40 to 40, um, in this game. And, and Elijah Martin... Um, you know, was amazing for FAU, had a great game. I mean, he he was hitting from everywhere. But at that point, the technical foul happens. You and I are texting each other. I'm saying, okay, this is looking like FAU is going to get control of this game. Uh, you know, San Diego State's kind of losing their composure a little bit, right? And then all of a sudden, the offensive rebounding from San Diego State just goes to another level. Um and that was really the difference down the stretch and then, that
1: ended the game. That I thought that ended the game. That that sequence where they got those offensive rebounds it it got away from Florida Atlantic during that stretch I think.
0: Right. And then and then from from whatever you know, like moving forward from there I mean it, there was one play in particular that I wrote down that I thought was kind of a, a perfect example of like, oh shit, right? If you're Florida Atlantic, a rope had the ball and it was looking like it was going to be a dribble handoff, but he fakes the dribble handoff and then turns back in for a dunk attempt, ended up being Golden's fourth foul, which ended up being a wasn't a foul. It wasn't a foul. Wasn't was a a foul. Ball, he got, he got a lot of ball. Tough whistle. Yeah, he yeah. got, got a lot of ball there. So the FAU fan's not happy about that. But when that happened, um, you know, it, it just led to... They continued to go to the free throw line. They continued to miss free throws, obviously. They, they ended up going 13 for 22 from the foul line on the night. But when they missed free throws, and Charles Barkley was going crazy about this, he's like, you got position. You got position. <laughs> you let these guys rebound. Um, but but that turned into, like, San Diego State's offense almost, right? I mean, they, they were just, you know, getting offensive rebounds, getting fouled, going to the foul line. Ladee's missing free throws. Matt Bradley's getting rebounds. They're resetting. They're getting more possessions. And then as the clock continued to turn, it just felt like as the game kept rolling on and rolling on, um, San Diego State got more, you know, settled into the game. And FAU started thinking about the fact that, oh man, we were up 14, now it's seven, now it's five. You know what I mean? You could just see kind of the, the, the wheels turning a little bit in their mind. And then from there, I, I want to talk to you about the end of the game, because that was really, you know, the coaching aspect of it, because you and I, you know, when we talked about the preview, we talked about ranking the coaches. I I had Brian Dutcher as my fourth ranked coach. I put Dusty May at two. And I think coming down the stretch, Dusty May almost he he became a little too hands-on, if that makes sense, right? I mean he was calling he called two he called one timeout and then they John L. Davis couldn't get the ball inbound, so they had to take another timeout, which was their last timeout. They just felt like they were they were just trying to do a little too much. And then on the flip side of that, Brian Dutcher, uh, as we get late in this game, one-point game, he decides not to extend the game. He says, we're just going to play it out. Um, <laughs> and and then from there, uh, you know, they, they don't get a, a good look. They, the rebound comes to San Diego State. Lamont Butler ends up with the basketball. San Diego State has one timeout everyone sitting at home, right? All, all the coaches on the couch are saying, call the timeout, get your best offensive player back into the game, Matt Bradley. Let him be the one that either sinks or swims this season. But no, Brian Dutcher sits over there, uh, and he joked after the game, he was like, I didn't have any more plays to draw up. So I figured, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just see what happens here. Um, but then Lamont Butler takes, you know, one of the, Biggest shots, if not the biggest shot, uh, I mean, definitely the biggest shot in San Diego State history, but one of the biggest shots, if not the biggest shot of the tournament. And uh, Jim Nance on the call, a San Diego State miracle. When you saw that all playing out, what were you thinking as they were bringing the ball up? Were you saying we should take a timeout? Because that's what I was thinking in my head.
1: It depends on the guys you got, you know, if you got a lot of like individual one-on-one talent, I understand rolling the dice and saying our guys are better than yours. They're going to go down there and make a play. Maybe don't give Dusty a chance to set the defense, um, you know, and Lamont Butler goes down there. Let me just say too, pro, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to overreact to the way this went down, but uh, you know, program guy in this era, just a real wholesome situation. You know, the guy who stayed at that stayed at San Diego state, hit the shot. I'm totally kidding. And and trying to, you know, act uh, anyway, (laughs) but but Butler Butler comes down. I mean, just, I want to comment just on the mechanics of the shot. It was gorgeous. He looked under control. He came like seriously a millimeter away from stepping out of bounds. Right. I was, I was hoping when he, when he nailed that shot, I kind of didn't know what he was doing. It kind of looking, it was looking at me like he, he decided literally at the very, very last second that he could that, that he was going to shoot that ball. And the, and this is a heartbreaking thing for Florida Atlantic because you control this game throughout. Another thing, too, I wanted to comment, too, was like Minsa dropping throughout this game in the first half, like dropping in DHOs, dropping in pick and roll. Like they burned them with that over and over again. Honestly when Minto was out of the game I thought that that kind of slowed down Florida Atlantic's offense. I texted you and said I was like I wonder if they need to, if this is a go bear situation where they need to just get him out of the game. Right. But he came in and he started meeting players at the level and I think that made a big difference. But this hurts because San Diego State their their last lead was at 11-24 in the first half and they did not lead this game again until the the buzzer sounded. Literally the ball was in the air that was the next time that they and, Tate, I was really, really hoping that uh, when that ball went through the net that Lamont Butler would look right into the camera and say, unfortunately, that's game. <laughs> you know, that's the top for our brand. Um, but I, on Twitter, predicted that Jim Nance was going to say uh, Dutch treat if San Diego State won the title. And I missed this on the broadcast, but I had a couple of people tweet at me. They were like, oh, my God, uh, Jim Nance said Dutch treat after this game, which to me, Tate, feels like Nance is kind of calling his shot that that this was San Diego State's last win in the tournament. What do you think about Nance? Yeah,
0: I think that's 100% what it was. And I also wanted to point out Nance. He had a talking point. He had two moments in this game that were very Jim Nance moments. One of them was he kept bringing up the Dreamers. This is a tournament for Dreamers. This is what this is what you expect when you come to the Final 4 especially with these teams they're dreamers. So it was a big pivot to the whole dreamers thing. He wanted to talk about that. He also got Grant Hill to do a stunt for him. He got Grant Hill to get up and, and putt. And uh and, and Grant Hill, I mean, he hit a very poor putt. I mean, look, I I'm a Carolina guy, it, but it was a tough putt, you know what I mean? It, yeah. And it it was disgusting to Jim Dance. He was like, "Take a seat, Grant. Never again. We won't do that." <laughs> um but it, it felt like in this game, he was almost tinkering a little bit because he was, he was, you know, he's like, this is almost freelance work for me because I don't, I don't have any calls in my back pocket for either one of these teams. So I was happy that he used that line. I appreciate you calling it out before it even happened that, that you, you pulse of the nation. You had your hand not- on what, what Jim Nance wanted to do.
1: I'm not fishing for credit, you know, I'm not trying to look for credit, but I just want to bring up that I got it right, you know, and I want to hammer that over and over again. Do you think that there's like a FanDuel line on at the end of the national championship, like we're talking about, you know, I just enjoy when people look right into the camera is Jim Nance going to look into the camera and say goodbye friends. in like a really sad way, you know, since his catchphrase is hello friends. Yeah. The odds That's going to happen. I think that's uh, I think
0: that's definitely going to happen. I think that he's going to have like his own little sign off. I thought he, I think I saw that he was doing like a CBS this morning, little package special where they're like covering his, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if in, you know, maybe even next year, we have like a Jim Nance BTS, his final call, very last dance style, you know, a 25 minute docu-series and it's like Raftery, Grand Hill, all, all you know, everybody's involved and their jeans territory even gets a, some a moment in there, you know, and everyone's yeah, just yeah. telling their Jim Nance stories. I mean, he deserves it at some level. I did like that. Uh, I think it was Greenlee. Greenlee uh, had a wide open layup at one point. That That would have been a pretty big, pivotal layup and he kind of just like short-armed it and uh, he compared it to Grant Hill's putt and that's when I knew that <laughs> that Jim Nance was working at a different stratosphere uh, in this game yeah. he, he was having a lot of fun
1: um, this uh this game uh, this game was a little drunk because, you know, in the <laughs> beginning of the game, we got Raftery compared Mensa to Bill Russell within, like, the first two or three minutes of this and, game. And
0: before he said it, Kyle, man, he was like, I know you guys are going to hate me for saying this. And then he said it, and it went straight to break. Jim Nance was like, cut to break. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There there were a lot of comments during this game. And at one point, uh, it just seemed like Raftery was really leaning on free association where he was like, uh, he just saw the name Weatherspoon and he was like, there used to be a guy named Weatherspoon in the NBA. And Grant Hill was just like, yeah, yeah, Clarence Weatherspoon. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, man, this is great broadcasting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you guys are killing it tonight. Uh, yeah, it felt like th- they were
0: treating this like a triple-A game a little bit. And it turned out to be um, a really good basketball game Um, A San Diego State miracle, fifth largest comeback in Final Four history. Um, Shout out to San Diego State, their fans. There were some great shots of uh, it was like Miami was in the tunnel um, and they were watching it live when it happened. And it was pretty cool to see their live reaction to that moment. Um, No matter who you are, I mean, no matter if you have any vested interest in either one of these teams when you see something like that happen and you see the magic and you see the emotions of the moment it just hits home to why college basketball and why this tournament is so special in its own unique way because otherwise like why you know there's a lot of people that are like I don't care about FAU or San Diego State and it's like sure but watch the end of this game and I promise you, you're gonna feel like the nerves, the anxiety. You're gonna feel the heartbreak of FAU, um, and that's kind of the beautiful, special, you know, quality that comes with this tournament. And speaking of FAU, they were amazing in the post game. I watched some of their post game stuff. Dusty May was great. Their players were great. They said they're going to be back next year. Um, so you know, I, I love sportsmanship. I'm a, I'm a sucker for sportsmanship. You know, I'm the guy that like when BJ Armstrong tells me the story of Dean Smith coming into the, to the visitor locker room and shaking everybody's hand after they beat him, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's an amazing story. Right. So I just want to give <laughs> uh, the kudos to FAU and Dusty he May was playing
1: to his audience. Wasn't he? Right. Of story. course, yeah. of course.
0: But at, at the same time, like, I mean, Dusty may had every right to be furious about how this, you know, or, or feel sick about how this all played out. But instead they, they were very gracious They they were very, uh, you know, accommodating and they were congratulatory toward SDSU. And Brian Dutcher is like a good guy. You know, we do the bad guy, good guy stuff here. Brian Dutcher is a good guy to the core. So it was cool to have Steve Fisher in the building and see Brian Dutcher
1: take this program to heights that they've never seen. But by, you know, by a large margin. What's up with my guy that wouldn't sit down in front of Steve Fisher? Like, what the hell are we doing, buddy? Have a seat. You got the legend behind you, and he was just like, I got to stand. Sorry, man. I yeah. got to. And, and Steve oh, Fisher what, was like was poking about? his
0: head around, like trying <laughs> to get, like, and, and as you know, in this dome, you can barely see the basketball game anyway. So, I mean, poor Steve Fisher probably, he probably was like listening to the radio or something. You know what I mean? That's probably the best way you could keep up with what was happening on the court. But, yeah, that yeah, guy, you think, stand down. At least switch seats. Like, let Coach Fisher sit in your seat. And then, yeah, you why? Know, why?
1: why was it Fisher like down like behind the bench? I didn't understand that one. I just, I don't know. I, yeah, I wondered if Fisher was going to have one of those ear, like radio earbuds that you see old guys at football games. Yeah. Have. Like, that, I got a those are the radio. best. Those are the yeah, best guys. Yeah. yeah. Those are, those are the best guys. Tate, I agree with you. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, just, um, this was, this was a game where we saw a lot of bigs making like weird broken play kind of shots. Like Ladie was making a lot of kind of short range shots. Um, I don't, and it, we saw even, um, you know, even even for uh, for Florida Atlantic, we saw a lot of kind of broken broken play kind of shots like that. I just I think those are going to be harder to come by for against UConn just because of their kind of cumulative length. I wanted to ask you, you talking about Dusty May? I I kind of posed this to you beforehand, but uh, Dusty May, little Brad Stevens energy, yeah, Brad Stevens energy there, definitely. You know, what do you what do you think?
0: He seems like. You know, I think the, the the trait that I would say is similar to Brad Stevens to me is that he feels like he knows something that we all don't know, you know? And, he, and he's coaching that way. He feel, there's like some sort of weird assurance in his mind that we're all like, I don't know, but that guy seems like he knows something. And that's how Dusty May was coaching this game. And I think if we were to talk to him off the record, he would say, I did a little too much meddling late in this game, like I was saying with the timeouts. And he tried to, I think he tried to control a little too much of what was happening instead of letting it kind of play out with his guys. Um, but yeah, definitely some Brad Stevens vibes. And I do think now that Brad Stevens is not a coach anymore, he's an NBA front office exec, said he doesn't want to coach anymore. I think if you're an Indiana fan, Dusty May is the new Brad Stevens. He is the new guy that you Photoshop him into the Indiana sweater. You say, uh, th- this guy is all Hoosier, everything. Um, I-, I think that's that's where Dusty May is headed. And that's why he feels like the next Brad Stevens. You know, he 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 checks both those boxes.
1: Yeah. If you're Indiana, you got, you know, you got you got Shrewsbury up at Notre Dame, right. kind of you got a couple guys in your back pocket where you're like, well, at least we got. You know, there's always money in the banana stand. It's those kind of guys. Like, we got those guys in our back pocket. If it comes to that, down the road, if Woodson ever wants to hit the road, and I, you know, our buddy Matt Dollinger, big IU guy, he texted me and he was like, "This is awesome. Price for Dusty May just came down. You know, price of the brick went down. This is awesome. <laughs> this is great." So, so yeah, yeah, just, you pay uh, twenty
0: four, I pay twenty three, right? That that, that, <laughs> that that is what it's going to be now. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good night for Dusty May. A great run for FAU. It's awesome for San Diego State that they're going to be in the national championship game before uh I let you get out of here Kyle man we'll, we'll forecast a little bit ahead I mean what would San Diego State feasibly I mean obviously they can't miss 9 free throws but what would they feasibly have to do to beat Yukon because I I am uh I am at the point of no return right here I think it's inevitable that Yukon's going to be the 2023 national champs
1: it's going to be a daunting task. I'm not saying it can't happen. We've seen them beat good teams. Like we said, we saw them beat Alabama, but you you know Alabama doesn't defend the way that UConn has during this tournament, right? Um, I they the I don't feel like they lean on their threes the way that Alabama does. I think San Diego State is going to have to have an immensely efficient game around the basket. I'm I'm not positive they're going to be able to do that. I'm not positive that, you know, San Diego State's going to be able to guard UConn's like off ball actions as effectively at the speed of them because no one has been able to. Um, but, you know, San Diego State, you know, it's a, it's a tournament for dreamers. I also uh, want to <laughs> shout. There you go. I, yeah, I wanted to just work that in there. Uh, that was an original thought of mine. But I wanted to um, shout out a sign that I saw behind uh, they, they didn't do a good job policing the signs. It was kind of a game day situation. Tate, where um, behind the set, I think it was the Barkley set, uh, the TNT guys, uh, there was a sign really big that said John L. Davis pee sitting down, yeah. and I yeah. just thought, I thought that that was. That one. I thought that that was uh, it wasn't subtle, you know. And I was just gonna say, um, you know, what's wrong with peeing and sitting down? I don't know. You sit down, you take a pee, you look at your phone. I don't think that's the same insult that they, that they thought it was. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And also like, we all need a break, you know, sometimes you're just like, I haven't been able to sit for, for hours, especially if you're at work all day, just take a a seat. You don't want to turn on the lights. I mean, John L. Davis just played a basketball game. Take a seat, man. Like, come on, like, let it, let it, let it be.
1: Sometimes it's a sit, you know, it's a little, you got a little time. That's you want to check your phone? Take you know. Seat. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Just take a seat. Just take a, take seat. a seat. Take a little pee. You, like, you never know like what's going to happen. I didn't like the know? shot at John L. Davis. Uh, John L. Davis, Mr. Second Half. Uh, he did win the race of 69. The race of 69, unfortunately, lost. Um, so apologies to everyone who believes in the race of 69. Obviously, Miami broke the rule, broke the undefeated streak uh, against Texas, and John L. Davis tried his best tonight. Um, so hopefully he can go, get home, you know, take a squat, um, <laughs> you know, and, and just rest up. I mean, that, that's and, all we and can for ask for. for the race for. Of
2: 69, everybody knows three strikes, you're out. Baseball's back, so, I mean, we really have one more
0: chance. Right, that. and 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 people forget this. The race 69 works 93% of the time all the time. So, you know, there's a 7% range of anything is possible, and maybe maybe we leave that. There, there's a seven percent chance. I think that San Diego State could win the national championship. That's what I think right now. A seven, a strong seven percent chance. It's not impossible, but I think it's seven percent right now.
1: You're not you're not playing them in a seven game series. You're playing them in one game. One game, Kevin, folks. You know, you know, Tate. This is this is every game's a game seven. You come out there, you get hot, you have a good one maybe Yukon's cold. I don't know. You never know. The you, we you know they play the games. We got to play the games. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't a Ken Palm, you know, <laughs> statistical sort of, you know, forecast. That said, I think Yukon's going to win by a lot, but uh I don't yeah. know and I feel stupid for talking myself into Miami winning that game. I don't know, man. You follow your heart. You if you're a dreamer like me and uh I don't know. We'll see. I'm hoping for a good game. That's all I'm hoping. Yeah, that, that I just want. I just want a good game. I just
0: want a close, good game. I want UConn to win in a close game. That's all I can ask for. Um, Kyle, man, thanks so much for breaking this all down with me. Is there anything
1: else? Any more stray thoughts that you have before we let you get out of here? Your sweatshirt looks amazing. I was gonna say I I contemplated getting that sweatshirt, but that was a more painful one for us. The yeah, nine, the 93 Final Four really tough. I have the UK 93 shorts that, you know, are great. I recommend those if you want to check those out. But, uh, uh, you know, that's it. That's all. That's I've enjoyed this tournament. I, I, I don't want it to end, but I'm excited about doing more of this in the future. I don't know. I feel like we've uncorked a bottle of champ, a sweet champagne, you know, uh, th- this month, Tate. And it's, it's been a blast.
0: It's been a blast. I appreciate you. Uh, Monday, we'll watch the national championship game. We'll see if we can get some reactions. We'll see if it's a close game. That'll be fun. And, uh, I appreciate the guys at 199 for making this 1993 sweatshirt, Carolina blue. You know, that's all I can ask for. Um and look, you know, the blue bloods, we gotta stick together. That's all we can do in this business. Um, no blue bloods, obviously, or maybe, you know, UConn fans are now saying they're blue bloods, so we'll give them their maybe maybe we have a meeting, all of the other blue bloods, we come together, we say, Should we kick UCLA out and let UConn jump in? Good question. It, it, Valid it, question. It, it's a conversation that we can all have. UConn fans, don't worry about it. We're not going to have it right now. We might have it Monday night. We'll see. He is Kyle, man. Thanks so much for coming on, man. And we will talk to you on Monday. See you there, man.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
0: All right, now joining us on One Shining yeah, Podcast is a we ma- go.
3: one <laughs> shining moment. That's what I'm talking about. This is where dreams become reality, where we come to grow, and where the deal goes down. You're Tate. I'm Bill, and we are on. Bill Simmons podcast here. So what more could we ask for? I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Well, yeah. What a place! These folks have done a remarkable job of presenting this final four. And I am so privileged and honored to be on this show. Bill Simmons has meant so much to me in my life. And you've got Muggsy Bogues' Jersey in the background. And that's what this tournament is about.
2: This yeah, tournament
3: is about the little guy beating the big guy because you got Florida Atlantic. The little guys, and you got them going up against San Diego State, who, mm. while they don't have the great basketball history and tradition, ever since Steve Fisher got there 24 years ago, they've been growing and they've been building. But when I talk about the big guys going up against the little guys, Florida Atlantic, they're not that big of a team compared to San Diego State. But San Diego State, like UConn, they are the biggest teams in the land out there. And uh, San Diego State, they made Alabama look like a you know a bunch of the junior high school players in terms of the the Aztecs taking care of the Crimson Tide there. And then you got Miami, which is definitely a short team, a small team, a thin team, not deep at all. But they're going up against UConn. Yeah, the Huskies. Boof, boof. barking and <laughs> scrapping and just clawing over everything they have. And the challenge challenge for UConn coming in as a as a very serious favorite here is to win as the favorite. Because it's much harder to win as the favorite than to win as the underdog. Because when you're the underdog, you, you you just have so much motivation. You're playing a, a a desperate game. When you're the favorite, you come in, okay, we're gonna take care of business here, but then you have to have the discipline. To have the self motivation to come out and get this job done here, the way that the people of Houston have put together this marvelous fantastic final four setting here discovery green. Yeah. I saw images of Lewis and Clark out there this morning at sunrise services there. And you got the baseball park on one side and you've got the basketball NBA arena on the other side. You got all these fabulous hotels. You got this convention center, the George Brown convention center. I mean, the deal is going down here in Houston and the people here in South Texas, they should be acknowledged for putting on a great, great show. Yeah. You got the music festival here. You got the hall of fame happening. It's all going down.
0: Yeah. Tate, what's going on with you? Not too much. I mean, I was going to ask you to set the scene in Houston, but you did a beautiful soliloquy to open this up and I couldn't have asked for anything better. And that's what's what you a Soliloquy. <laughs>
3: this is like a grand celebration of all that's good in your life. You know, Absolutely. I, mean, I, I found in sports, uh, I was eight years old when I started, 62 years ago in 1960. And here it was, uh, I had no idea about anything in sports. My parents are not, were not, they're both passed away, but my parents had zero interest in sports. But I found when I first started playing with my very first coach, who like all of my early coaches were disciples of John Wooden and Chick Hearn, I found hope, opportunity, and purpose. And I ultimately over the next 62 years, I added uh, pride, loyalty, and gratitude to that. And so to be here and, and, and to celebrate at this magnificent family reunion, to see all the old friends. I mean, I was having a quick bite before I came here to Radio Row and I ran into a guy, Dave Lauer, who runs Athletes in Action. And Dave Lauer, Dave Lauer was the starting forward on one of the great high school teams in the history of San Diego, Mount McGill, which was the rival high school to our Helix high school. And uh, uh, he was, you know, he, I saw him in the, in the restaurant. It was just a fantastic re- reunion, but everywhere you turn when you're here at the final four, it, it, it's basically like Hawaii here. You know, the, the, everybody's dressed in Tommy Bahamas shirts and the weather is perfect. And you're just having the time of your life and there's music and there's food and there's parties and there's dinners and there's celebrations and there's basketball games and the games are going to be spectacular.
0: Yeah, when you think of uh, you know, obviously I wore my Hawaiian shirt for you because th- this is what we got to do. This is the Maui time, you know what I mean? Right. Big Wave Billy, we have across from us. So we ha- we have to pay our homage. But when I think of San Diego, I think of you, Bill Walton. That that is like the face of San Diego in my mind of San Diego basketball. I saw I saw Coach Brian Dutcher talking about you know twenty four years in the making of getting to this Final Four. How much pride do you have being from San Diego, being a native, and seeing a school like San Diego State make the Final?
3: I love San Diego State and I love my hometown. Lori and I, we still live there. And Mm -hmm. to see what San Diego State has become and, and and the way that they have inspired so many people and the dedication and the determination, what makes fans committed to a team? And I've been part of some of the greatest teams ever. And that doesn't even count. UCLA or Helix High School. No, that that doesn't even count Helix High School or my elementary school. It does count (laughs) UCLA. But what makes the fans so committed and so loyal and so proud is the way we play and the way that we're able to live their lives, lives that are challenging, but where the challenges are met with commitment, with belief in the leadership the commitment to developing your own foundation, to jumping in and immersing yourself in the culture and understand that the team always wins. Nobody ever makes it to the top alone and to see Viejas arena, the home arena for the San Diego state Aztecs that used to be the football field at San Diego state Aztec bowl, Don Coriel, and Haven Moses and Brian Sipe and all the legendary teams from the 60s. Our high school team would go over there with the entire Grossmont League and play a fantastic Friday night where there was eight teams in our league and there would be each team would play uh, one quarter. So there'd be four, four little games of one quarter each between uh, all the teams and the, all the bands were there. And Then they built this fabulous basketball facility, which is also a spectacular concert venue. And to see how the school has just grown up, they've got the the light railed underground train subway system that comes drops you off right in the middle of campus. All the new buildings there. It's one of the most applied to universities in the entire country. And everybody wants to go there. And now the basketball team is just spectacular and fantastic. And the business community has rallied behind in the changing world of college athletics with NIL and all the different opportunities and aspects that that brings and the support of all the philanthropists in building the building, supporting the basketball team and the football team, the new Stap Dragon Stadium, man the dream is alive here we go Aztecs and so we're watching these games right and San Diego State i mean they've got a tough route to, you know to get to the championship here you know they had to beat Charleston and Furman, the first couple of rounds, not, not too much. But then it was Alabama and Creighton. And mm. Lori and I, we're watching these games, man. We are on the <laughs> edge of our seat. We're cheering and yelling, will somebody please make a shot? Will somebody please get a rebound? Guard somebody. Come on. And then they win. And we're screaming, Aztecs win. Aztecs win. And my first call is to Steve Fisher to say not only congratulations, but to thank him Thank him for being the most important man in the history of all of San Diego basketball. What he's been able to do is just nothing short of miraculous. He's done what Mark Few has done in Gonzaga, he's done what Lute Olson, Fred Snowden, Sean Miller, and now Tommy Lloyd have done in Arizona, and what Mick Cronin is trying to get done at UCLA again. It's just every game sold out. The atmosphere, San Diego, Viejas, yeah, the Aztecs, whoa, this is going to be an incredible weekend of basketball, of life, of culture, of business, of science, of technology, and I'm the luckiest guy in the world, man. I'm right here (laughs) in the middle of it.
0: And I love to hear it. And it's good for West Coast basketball, right? I live in Los Angeles. So it's good to have a West Coast team represented in the final four. That's always good to see. I wanted to rewind a little bit and talk. We, we got the 50 year anniversary of one of the greatest championship performances ever. Of course, I'm talking about your 44 point performance in the 1973 title game against Memphis. Again, there was no dunking back in this game. So that, that to me has always made it even more impressive. One of the images I, I always think about when you're leaving the court, you have your left shoe off, one of the most iconic pictures in college basketball. What do you remember from that championship game? What do you remember from that championship run? Um, And how much does that stick with you still to this day on a 50-year uh, anniversary?
3: We won the championship. and That's <laughs> what I played for. And I was super lucky in that I had teammates who were willing to sacrifice for me because Coach Wooden made the decision early on that I was going to get the ball. Now, right. My game was based on Bill Russell. Bill Russell was my hero. And I love Bill Russell's defense, his rebounding and starting the fast break. And that's what I tried to do. And I loved our full court press. You know, we had uh, back-to-back undefeated seasons with basically the same team. We switched Henry Bibby and we brought Larry Hollyfield in as Henry had graduated. There was other key players on the team, but and our front the front line of our pre, our press was fantastic the records that that team set in 72 and 73 two undefeated championships uh those still stand today and but the, the the crowd that we had the full court press that we had the fast break and then when when Coach Wooden on the first day of practice as the sophomores, he stopped us all and looked around and said, OK, now we're UCLA basketball and mm-hmm. our game is fast break. Our game is full court press, physical fitness up and down. And when you're in the open court, anybody who has it is encouraged to just go for it and attack and no one will ever say anything about you having to pull it back out. But then he took a pause, which he rarely did. And he looked around and he said, but if the other team is dug in defensively, and this is a set up offensive play for UCLA. And then he stopped and paused one more time. And he looked all around. We're all like, yeah, coach, what is it going to be? Coach Wooden said, if the other team is back defensively, and if Bill Walton and Jamal Wilkes don't get the ball every single time, the rest of you guys are coming out. Mm. And so Jamal and I, we just lit up. And the rest <laughs> of the guys, they're just faces. they're just, they saw their careers evaporate. and But none of them left. And every single one of them stayed committed to the team goals. And Coach Wooden had outlined those team goals. And the, the hunger and the the. The happiness and the joy and the celebration of life that basketball was and always has been for me, and that was on full display at UCLA. Coach Wooden was incredibly strict and firm and demanding, exacting, challenging, tough, but he was fair. And he made it really fun. The, <laughs> the, the practices were so competitive. W- what he taught us, he taught us how to learn. He taught us how to compete. And mm. the the competition in our practices, uh, the, the games were memorized exhibitions of brilliance. But our second team, our second team would have made the final four. And all, all these incredible players who just sat on the bench because Coach Wooden was not into substituting. You know, Coach Wooden, he was the first great player in basketball. And and that's where his coaching style came from. You know, I'm going to make my players better than everybody else's players. And so then that's what he did. And so to have the the experience that we had personally, and, and they're all still my best friends. Four of the guys off our team uh, are, are now passed away. Uh, Vince Carson, Tommy Curtis, Dave Myers, and Greg Lee. And Coach Wooden has passed away. and Denny Crum's having a tough time right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're still very close, including our team manager. You know, in those days, we had one manager, Les Friedman. And Les, he only went on to, to to become the mayor of Beverly Hills. And so, <laughs> you know, Co- Coach Wooden, you know, he, he saw his job as, as teaching us how to become better at what we were doing, which was basketball, but most importantly, to be better in life. And mm-hmm. Coach Wooden, he never had any idea how successful he was as a teacher because he never really stopped. He was, he was a humble man, kind, generous, sharing, loving, giving, but uh, you know, his happiness as his life changed from being the first grade player to become a, as great a teacher as there's ever been. And his happiness at the end, he was happy all the way to the end. And that happiness came from, seeing other people succeed and, and, and that's what being a leader is all about that's what being a team member is all about and particularly when that success came with the acknowledgement to the help that was provided along the way and so when I see and talk to and experience life today at 70 with all of my teammates uh, Jamal Wilkes, Larry Farmer, Larry Hollyfield, and Andy Hill and John Chapman and Swen Nader, Gary Franklin and the guys who are still alive out there you know we just think back we think back mostly to how fun it was and and how every single day man we got to go to play basketball it was a privilege and the trash talking that went on there because because <laughs> coach wooden he was driving that coach Wooden was the second greatest trash talker I've ever come across uh the the Larry Bird was the first and for Coach Wooden to be ahead of Kevin McHale ML Carr and Cedric Maxwell you know that Coach Wooden had a very strong verbal game
0: right shout out to Cornbread Maxwell Uh, one last thing before I let you get out of here because I know you got a lot to do in Houston I wanted to ask you about a very specific player this year on UCLA who I thought embodied a lot of those special qualities that you were talking about he passed you on the scoring record his name is Hame Haquez Jr. can you just talk about that relationship that you had with Hame because I I thought it was so special and observing it from a distance, um, you know, is really cool to see out here in L.A. Jaime
3: Hawkes epitomizes all that I believe is good in the world and in the game of basketball. And here's a Southern California guy that comes from an immigrant family who, who showed up decades ago with, with nothing and built fabulous lives for themselves through hard work, through commitment, through sacrifice, discipline, and honor, family, community, all the things that go into making a great individual, understanding that the strength of the team is the strength of the individual. Jaime and his sister, they both go to UCLA, and to To witness Jaime's progression, because when he first started at UCLA, basketball was not happening at UCLA. (laughs) And it was incredibly disappointing to those of us who were there when it was better than perfect. And if you weren't there, you have no idea how great it was in every aspect. And then over the course of the four years that Jaime's played for UCLA, he has returned it to prominence. And uh huge kudos and shout outs to, to Mick Cronin, who has completely reversed the direction of UCLA basketball. And now for the first time in memory UCLA is selling its own basketball tickets they're not selling the opposition and so Pauly Pavilion is now full again because of the way the Bruins play and the Bruins play the way they do because of the players that they have and the way the fans relate to people like Jaime Hawkins and Tiger Campbell and Jalen Clark and now the new guys with uh, Amari Bailey and with uh, Adem Bonin and all the different guys and the recruits that Mick Cronin has brought in. But Mick Cronin, you know, the coach, the leader, is responsible for the culture, is responsible for bringing the team together. And he's done that magnificently. And we couldn't be happier, we couldn't be more proud, but you have to have the player. And you have to have the, the guy who can deliver. And Jaime delivers. And the don't ever think about trying to to instigate any uh, dissension or unhappiness between members of the UCLA basketball family, because we're all one team and we're happy. We're just thrilled as can be for Jaime's success and the way that he's become one of only nine players in the history of UCLA basketball to be in the top 10 in scoring and in rebounding. And all of those guys are on the same team. And, and, It's no coincidence that Kareem is on both of those lists as well. And so (laughs) Jaime will go down as one of the great Bruins ever. And there's a bunch of them. You know, and you can you go back to Don Barksdale, uh, you, the, you know, just absolutely spectacular. Rafer Johnson was on the basketball team for UCLA. Walt Hazard and Gail Goodrich and Keith Erickson, and Kenny Washington, and then Sidney and, and Curtis and, and Steve and Henry Bibby and John Vallely. And wow. then you got Lucius Allen and Mike Warren and Lynn Shackelford and all the guys. <laughs> and then Greg Lee and Dave Myers and Uh, and Larry Hollyfield and Larry Farmer, the winningest player in the history of college basketball. 90 games played, 89 of them won. And then you you got Jamal Wilkes and Marcus Johnson. And uh, I'm just the luckiest guy in the world. And all the guys who come back for the reunions every year. And one of the things that makes it so special to be a member of the UCLA Bruin family is that when we have our reunions, every and every means every, every living member of the team comes back every year, no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing. And I want to pay particular uh, attention to what Pete Tergovich this did this year, because Pete Turgovich, two-time champion, 73 and 75, the last one of John Wooden's run. Pete Tergovich came back this year, and he had gone on to a spectacular career as a high school teacher and coach back in Northwest Indiana, where he's from. And we hadn't seen him in a while. It's a long way to come. And he's busy coaching, but he's now retired from teaching and coaching so he can get away a little bit. And nobody recognized him. He came in, he was completely bald, but in remarkably physically fit. I mean, just taut and, and firm. And he just a, a statuesque Ravenesque Adonis of the night. But nobody recognized him. He had to introduce himself around. And then when everybody went around and gave their little talk, Pete stood up and gave as remarkable, as dynamic, as impactful a speech as I've ever heard at one of these events and what it had meant to him and what it was all about to be a UCLA Bruin and to be a part of something bigger than your own individual life. And I love Pete Tergovich. What a speech. I don't think it was taped. I hope it was videotaped, but I just don't know. But anybody who was there, their lives will never be the same again. I am indeed the luckiest guy in the world. And I remember brought Podcasting for Muggsy Bogues. What a true giant. Yes, absolutely spectacular what Muggsy was able to do. And that's the challenge for this year's Final Four who can beat the big guys? But that's really the story of life. And when you find yourself in times of trouble, please find a song, listen to the music play. And when you're worried about making it through, just read Davos Man by Peter Goodman. Oh my
0: gosh. Hold on. Here Mm. we go. Well, I would just say this. We're very lucky to have this moment in time to have you share and impart this wisdom for us. I, before we let you go, I want you to uh, tell everybody where they can find you this weekend, right? You're going to be calling games for Westwood One.
3: Yeah, I'm at the Final Four in Houston, Texas, and it's a college basketball championship. And you have two <laughs> games on Saturday night on Westwood One <laughs> Radio, and I'll be part of that broadcast team. Then Monday night is the championship team, and I'm just the luckiest guy in the world. How- Howard dinneroff. Our boss, my boss, he like John Wooden, like Red Auerbach, like Jack Ramsey, like Lenny Wilkins, they create this culture, this culture where people can thrive and people can succeed. And, and they're team guys, and they give up their lives so that our dreams can come true. And that's what we're doing here in Houston, Texas. And it's beautiful. And it's just like Hawaii. And there's, everybody's wearing Tommy Bahamas shirts, and we're having the time <laughs> of our lives. So let's go and celebrate. And I'm going right now over to the Hall of Fame dinner. And I'm going to go to the Naismith Awards dinner tonight too. So we got a lot of stuff going on: the music festival, fan fest. It, it, it's all right here on location. You name it. the The Chase United Fan Experience before the game on Monday night. The championship. So we're, we're just getting going here. This is what's the Final Four has become. What the NBA All Star Game has been. Mm. which is this long weekend that just is action from start to finish, man. And you just, there's no time for anything other than smile, smile, smile. Tate, thanks for having me. Be sure and give Bill Simmons my best. I love that guy. He's a genius. He's a giant.
0: (laughs) Well, you're a giant and we appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck. Enjoy all the action this weekend. We'll be following along and uh, enjoy Houston. Thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast.
3: I'm looking forward for that one shining moment.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I get a
3: lot of those. None (laughs) like this, though. Thank you, Tate. Good and happy everything forever.
2: Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your
3: personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance,
0: run your way. All right, there you have it. Bill Walton. I I don't even know where to start, Kyle. I have never been so disoriented in my entire existence. I have interviewed and talked to a lot of people in my life. But I would compare that experience to someone smacking me with a fish um, and then continuing to talk to me as if they didn't smack me with a fish. Um, I... I uh, what? What? Can I get your thoughts? You You watched this. You probably I mean, saw my face. What was my face? Your I mean, face.
2: I actually went back. I was looking at him. I was just in awe. That was the first time I've ever been a part of a Bill Walton interview. I've seen him. You know. I knew. Right. I knew it was going to be a little zany. Right. But uh, I was. Dare I, I, dare I say wonky? That was wonky. <laughs> sure. Wacky. Whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah. I didn't look at your face. I was just. I was looking at him. Uh, I went back and watched the Zoom to see if there was any good stuff. You kept it together, man. You're you you are a true pro. You did a lot of laughing. I think you were just laughing at the the absurdity of some the, of the absurdity. Situations. Yeah. I mean, from the be- very beginning of the interview, where you kind of got it out. <laughs> you just get you. I don't even know how many words. Maybe you got seven words out. Uh, maybe. And then the yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and then I don't think you said something else for three, four minutes. So um, yeah, I think you averaged like. 10 words every four minutes if uh,
0: that and to break the fourth wall for everyone at home look uh we were told that we were going to get 15 minutes max with bill walton and i had five questions i was really excited to hit none of them were going to be a preview of the final four and immediately he sits down he basically is like i'm so happy to be on the bill simmons podcast i was like oh man someone's gonna have to break it to him that bill simmons is not gonna pop out behind me and do this podcast and then from there he d- he proceeded to break down the 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 Final Four preview, which I didn't need. He did that for about seven minutes. His producers texting us like, "Wrap it up!" I haven't even asked anything. I didn't, I, didn't, I hadn't even asked anything that was on my on my sheet at that point. So I I just was absolutely uh, shocked. And you know, to even to stretch it even further, back in twenty nineteen, I was at the Maui Invitational. And, you know, Bill Walton was there. We're sitting in the gym in the Lahaina Civic Center. It was like me, uh, Mark Titus, uh, my production partner, Mike Goldstein. It's like five people in there. You know, Mike Goldstein, myself, Mark Titus, Bill Walton, Jay Billis, and then like some of the the people putting the tournament together. And I'm sitting there. I have this yellow tech like, um, you know, it's it's basically like an SD card, mobile microphone. And we had just launched Titus and Tate. And we needed promos. Like, I wanted to get promos with all like the coaches and players and stuff. So I'm sitting there, and Titus is like, go ask Walton. I'm like, all right, I'll go ask him. Like, why not? Like, he's sitting over there. He's not doing anything. I walk over there, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Walton. And he's like, hey, how's it going, man? And I introduce myself as Sam Tate Frazier. I, I say that you I. You sure
2: you didn't tell me you were Bill Simmons?
0: No, nah, I should have. <laughs> okay. I should have. You could have got away with it. Well, I, I do the whole spiel. Um, in the middle of my talking and introducing myself, he literally stops me and then takes NyQuil, takes like a shot of cough syrup because uh, he said he had a cold that he was dealing with. And then he lets me proceed after he does that. And this is like I am. I am. Look, I love Bill Walton, so I'm I'm just loving the moment at the time. And then I explain to him the show. I'm like, can you just do like a 30 second promo? That would be amazing for us. He's like, do you have the microphone? I give him the microphone. And the first thing he says into the microphone is, is this isn't porn, is it? It's a valid question. You don't want to be messed up in the wrong things. And, and, and he didn't want to be doing a promo for porn. Um and <laughs> I get done, he does the he does the promo. I'm it was a great promo. I, I don't know if you know, if, you, if you've never heard it, maybe maybe we'll find I'll dig it up and and we'll see. But I mean, it was a hilarious. He's like shine on, tar Heel on. Does the whole thing. It was amazing. Gets done. And then, you know, he was like, "Are you going to go to the store?" And I was like, "What?" What? I was like, yeah, I guess. So. I mean, we were going to go walk down there to go get some drinks or whatever. And he's like, can you get me a, a, a drink when you go down there? So I go and get him a drink. I bring him, I bring him back a drink. I think Kyle, at that point, I thought we I'm were in. friends. I thought we were friends. I thought he would know who I was. I thought we'd forever be connected. I saw him in Maui, Um, you know, it, it, like later in that run. And we, and we would say, Hey, he we gave meet. you the head nod. And yeah. Right. Like we, were, we were like plugged in, you know, and I, and I thought I had it. I thought it had it at the point where he would come to this interview and at least be like, that's that Maui guy. You know, he I would hurt. take Maui guy. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all, folks. Not at all. Throw that out the window. Uh, but but honestly, one of the funniest things I've ever been a part of. I I love Bill Walton even more than I already did. Um, I'll never forget it. He's so overwhelmingly positive that even
2: though we're at like 10 minutes of the interview, I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but he's just so positive. Um it, it, it works in any situation. You could say absolutely anything you want, as long as you're positive enough, I think.
0: Right. Just keep it upbeat. Right. That, I mean, there's enough negative in the world. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, So shout out to Bill Walton. That is my main shout out because, oh my God, what an experience that was. Um, I want to shout out. He's in Houston. Obviously you heard him say that a hundred times. Uh, shout out to all the friends of the programs, uh, friends of the program that are in Houston. Um, You know, the, a lot of people were saying Tate, how do you have, you know, images and footage from Houston? Are you in Houston? Did you lie to us? Did did you not have strep? I do have strep. I'm on antibiotics. Kyle can confirm it. But we had friends of the program and the and boots on the ground. They were sharing content. They were sending content. So shout out to them. Appreciate them. Um, That's
2: all half of the people do that go, like go to Houston for their jobs anyway. They're just doing videos. So you just outsourced it. Right. They didn't know the difference. Right. And, it's, and, it's America. It's 2023. Is what we do now.
0: And honestly, as Bill Simmons said, it's way better to watch it on TV. So uh, it worked out in the end. I, I did miss seeing some friends in Houston. But at the end of the day, I'm happy to be here with Kyle. Um, one, other, one other shout out I wanted to shout out. Um, the phrase, Houston, we have a problem. This is a farce, folks. That was never said um, it. It, is, it was Houston. We'd had a problem. Um, the Houston. We have a problem is a uh, is an extrapolation. It is it turned into a pop culture thing. I did not know this until I was doing my research. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. Houston. We have a problem is completely um, made up. It, it is not real. Um, you've heard it a lot, but it's not, it's not a real thing. So that's why Jim Nance will not use it in his call because he's a man of journalistic integrity. He's not going to play that, um, no matter what. Um, so final shout out there. Oh, and also shout out to antibiotics because I have my voice back, Kyle. Finally, I finally feel like a human again. I didn't know if I'd ever get here. Um, I was struggling last week. It's been literally seven days of, of this strep throat flu whatever thing i got going on um, but the antibiotics are working i feel better um, you sounded
2: that's the first thing i told you today i said wow you really sound a lot better thank you
0: thank you i'm not all i'm not all the way 100 but I, I feel better we had a great great saturday uh, at the final four here um you know watched two good basketball games wish the miami yukon game would end up being better but hey semantics who cares? This what's happening. It's, it's what happens in this world of uh, college basketball. Um, but look, Final Four Saturday happened. We got one more game left this season. Monday night, the national championship game in Houston. We got the UConn Huskies. We got the San Diego State Aztecs. This is going to be a fun game. It's going to be a showdown. We're going to be back here. We're going to be doing live reactions. We're probably not going to have Bill Walton back on the podcast. Um, <laughs> we're gonna let that. We're gonna let that settle for a little while. Um, but it's going to be, you know, a a fun reaction show. Myself, Kyle, man, Kevin Clark was supposed to be on the show. I think he's out. I think he's out. I think he's out. Shout out to Kevin! Shout, Shout out to, to Kevin, Kevin Clark. Clark. Pour one out for Kevin Clark. Uh, for all the Miami Hurricanes fans that made the trip. Shout um, out to
2: Kyle's guys. I mean, I got one. I got one left. I'm hanging on by a thread. It's who do you got? Mensa. I, it's Mensa. It's Mensa. I forgot to mention him last week, but I but you could attest that last week and even the week before, I was I was into Mensa. I love the name. He's a smart dude. He's in his. I think he's going for his masters right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a black party when he's out there. But uh, I we just lost. Um, omir and uh and and wong today and those were my last two i didn't have anybody on um on yukon it's too late to pick up sunogo so that would just feel cheap so yeah uh, it's i'm hanging on by a thread with uh with my boy uh mensa but
0: uh i have i'll be i'll
2: be uh Go Aztecs.
0: Go Aztecs. There you go. I I think maybe Mensa in that front line with the rope, maybe they give some trouble to UConn. But like I said, 7%. We are the 7%. We'll see what happens in this game. Um, This has been One Shining Podcast. This has been a Final Four reaction show. We will be back on Monday, myself and Kyle Mann. Again, Pour one out for Kevin Clark. Feel bad for the Hurricanes. We will see you on Monday night.